0: And so I just want to share stuff. I just want to be helpful and useful. Um, and so I, that's easily you know, one of the best parts of my job is getting emails from readers saying that they've put an idea in action or that they found something helpful. Um, so that's, that's really kind of my main goal. It's just how can I contribute my little piece to society and you know, maybe move things forward. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible. Today's guest is James Clear.
1: Hi, thanks for joining me today on the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. I have a very special guest, someone whose writing I certainly enjoy more than most, in particular the attention to detail with research. I think he's possibly... The only person I know who puts very accurate footnotes into his emails and his blog posts, uh, which reminds me of my university days with bibliographies. I haven't done that in a while. You may know him from that reason. Uh, his name is James Clear, and he has jamesclear.com as his uh, very well-known blog. And James, I should probably ask you, what do you classify yourself as? Are you a personal development blogger or a productivity blogger, or
0: what? what are you? Uh, yeah, i just like to say that I am a writer who focuses on how, like trying to answer the question, how can we live better? So usually, if you were going to put it in a category, people would say self-improvement mm-hmm. um, or personal development or something like that. But I try to take a very scientific approach to my writing. So I kind of view myself as like a combination of a craftsman and uh, and an, um, a scientist. It's mm-hmm. like I, I try to approach things the way that a craftsman would, where like each article is... You know, the same way a craftsman would build an amazing chair and take like a month making that chair. Um, I try to like really craft an article as a piece of art, but then the way that an engineer would think about the systems behind things and the scientific approach to how to make things work, that's kind of the philosophy that I try to have behind my writing. So I I like to have like an artist's uh, ambition or vision, a craftsman's approach and an engineer's mindset and focus on systems and science.
1: Fantastic. That's some great advice to start with there. We haven't even met you yet. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, before we went live here, I was trying to come up with, or you were helping me to come up with something we could perhaps entice people with if they don't know who you are as a claim to fame. Uh, and we, you started telling me a great story about your early days with um, one of, I guess, your contemporaries nowadays, uh, Leo Babauta from Zen Habit. So do you, did you
0: want to maybe just rehash what we were talking about for the listeners? Yeah, sure. It's just a fun little story. I I don't really know that I have like a claim to fame, but I, Leo uh, is a great guy. And at the time when I was getting started, um, he was, you know, Zen Habits was this massive blog. It was the blog that I looked up to. And I remember he had grown, I think from zero to 50,000 subscribers in two years. And that was just this huge number at the time. And I I remember thinking, man, if I could just get to 10,000, like that would be, I remember thinking like that was the number. If I could get 10,000 subscribers, And get featured in the New York Times that I'd like to be set. And then, you know, which, of course, you like, you know, as you go along this entrepreneurial journey, you realize any one milestone is just a milestone. has basically no bearing on whether or not you're in business five years or 10 years later. But but I ended up going from zero to 100,000 subscribers in two years. And I remember thinking, like, that was a really big moment for me. And it was just it was really fast growth. It was certainly some of the fastest growth that I had heard of at the time. And then last year, Leo sent me an email asking for my advice on habits. And so it was just this crazy full circle thing where, you know, I, I was like, dude, you were the teacher, like you were the guy that I looked at. Um, and so that was probably, that was, it's not really a claim to fame, but it definitely made me feel proud. And uh, it was just a cool moment for me, for the mm. person that I like spent so much time looking at to be able to come back and look at me as, as a peer, or as a contemporary
1: We definitely have to take a look into how you grow to 100,000 subscribers in two years. At some point in this interview, you've triggered a memory of of my own when I was looking up to Darren Rouse uh, with ProBlogger. And I think he had 5,000 RSS subscribers around 2005. So my goal is to get to 1,000. And, you know, the numbers have certainly changed over the years, I think, in terms of what we consider, you know, big traffic. So it's interesting to hear these these, these historical notes. But before we go into maybe the the business story, I'd I'd like to know a little bit more about your, your personal background. So, you know, where are you
0: originally born and where did you grow up? Yeah. So born and raised in Ohio. Um, I, my family's from Cincinnati. I lived in the same house my entire life uh, until I left to, to go to college. Um, my parents are both great and spent time working when I was younger. My mom was a nurse. Uh, my dad worked in insurance and, uh, they just, you know, they had normal jobs. Um, but they were there for us and provided a lot of opportunities. Like they, you know, my dad coached my sports teams and my mom took us to practice and everything. And, uh, it was, it was great. I, When I think about that time I spent a lot of time outdoors uh, as a kid either playing sports or my grandparents had a farm and they lived like five minutes from us and so I spent probably three or four nights a week over there um, and pretty much all day Saturdays and Sundays during the summer Um, my cousin and I would go in my grandparents field and they had like a creek and we built this dam down there one summer and just a lot of a lot of time outdoors um, and I still kind of have a love of travel and adventure, which I think was fostered a little bit in that early time. And then the other thing that I think I was learning, I've always liked school. I, I always have identified in kind of this weird middle ground between being an athlete. Um, my dad was a played professional baseball. He played in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. And so I always grew up wanting to be a great athlete. But I also loved school. I was always just interested in reading and learning. And I think, I, I don't know that I so much like loved any given subject as much as I was just curious. I just liked, I liked discovering something new and I still feel that way whenever I write an article, whenever I come across something new that I learned for the first time, it feels, the idea feels magical to me. Um, and I, I like get really excited about it and I want to share that. I think that's kind of one of my driving motivators to write articles is this, Sense of curiosity and, and sense of learning, and whenever I take some kind of you know personality test like Quest or Myers Briggs or stuff like that, um, learning will always come up as something that I'm that I'm interested in, some type of curiosity or whatever that aspect is my personality is openness to experience. Um, it is definitely something that's that's kind of high on my radar, and I think that came out of my childhood. Which
1: meant you would have continued on a career path to become a PhD student, right? That, is that what
0: happened next,
1: or where did the, yeah, the well, studying lead to?
0: So, I when I went to school, um, when I went to college, I I started studying science because I because I liked it, and also honestly, like I was thinking about going to medical school, and that's something that you really get a lot of approval for um, at the time. Like nobody's ever gonna question you saying, "Oh, I'd like to be a doctor." Like everybody's just like, "Yes, of course, that would be a good thing to do with your life." Um, And so I think that social approval made it easy for me to rationalize and think, oh, this is definitely the thing I should do. Looking back on it now, if I could go back, I probably would study more like neuroscience and psychology. I didn't take any of either of those when I was in uh, when I went to school. And that's what I spend like a lot of my time now writing about and researching and so on. But but in any case, I was a science guy. Uh, But then I did my first kind of entrepreneurial thing when I was in college, which is I looked at all the majors that they had available, all the different courses of study. And I said, I don't really like any of these. So I'm just going to make my own. And they had a a design your own major option. And so I designed my own. And it was like this combination of physics and chemistry and physiology. And so I I still was taking a lot of science classes, but we ended up calling it biomechanics. And I spent a lot of time over the next four years studying kind of the science of how humans move and how the human body works. And uh, that probably not only the foundation for my my understanding of science now and how I write, but also just my interest in, in how the human body works and how the, the brain functions.
1: So tell me how that led to what you, well, actually what I really wanna know is in your mind, what were you thinking about it in your future? Like what were you planning on, you know, becoming as an adult, so to speak?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I spent a lot of time thinking about baseball when I was in college. So I was, you know, I spent most of my time thinking about how to how I could improve on the field and so on. So I didn't give a ton of thought, although I, you know, I thought a little bit about where I was headed. And I think I just kind of assumed that I would go to graduate school, that I would either go, you know, go to medical school or go get a Ph.D. or whatever. And I was nearing the end of my time. And so I thought, well, I'm not sure what I want to do next. So I'll just go get my MBA. So I went to I went to business school and looking back on that time i wasn't like super fascinated with business at the time but i what it did was it gave me 2 years to think and figure out what i was mm-hmm. going to do and that was kind of where i started to plant the seed of becoming an entrepreneur so i was i my job was to analyze venture capital investment in the region and my job i mean my graduate assistantship when i was there so i worked in the center for entrepreneurship at the university and I I saw all these people rolling companies out and starting their own thing, and that was where I kind of got the itch to do the same thing myself. And looking back, I had all these little moments where I was kind of a creator and was building stuff throughout my life. And now I look back on that and be like, and I see I see it as oh I was kind of entrepreneurial from the start, but I never I never knew that's what the term was. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. I didn't really have any close friends who were entrepreneurs. So I I. I just didn't really view it as an option until I started to see all these other people doing it, and then uh, once I saw that, I was like, okay, maybe this is something I could do. And so I graduated and I went straight into trying to start my own thing after I got done.
1: Can we timestamp this? I'm assuming you must have been 22 ish, and I don't. I don't yep, know.
0: I was. So I finished undergrad and I was 22. I went to grad school for two years and I was 24. Uh, and so this was 2010 and uh, I graduated in the spring of 2010, and then um, right around that time, I decided to start trying my own thing.
1: Okay, so prior to that, you must have been thinking traditional career path, not sure where, obviously you were thinking medicine initially, but that's a very different train of thought to I want to be an entrepreneur, because for me, it was always I never ever want a job. But it sounds like you were kind of figuring everything out along the way, and you were trying to give yourself space and time almost by studying to figure it out. So did you feel like, as you saw these people be entrepreneurial, some sort of resonance with your own desire? And if, and if you did, what was that desire? Was it for more money, more freedom to explore what you enjoy? Did you want to travel? Like, What was the, the impetus for you to become an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I so I, I did pursue a career in medicine, or at least start to pursue it a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I studied for the MCAT. I, in between my first and second year of grad school, I had a job at a um, at a, a physical therapy or a, sorry orthopedic practice. So there were about 15 doctors and 200 employees. They had a physical therapy unit. And I I was the uh, business intern there, so I I did a lot of different stuff. But I also got to go in on um, 30 different surgeries that summer. And while I was in the operating room, I loved it. Um, It was really cool. I remember one of my favorite surgeries that I saw was uh, this guy had come in, and he had fractured his collarbone, his clavicle, from a BMX bike. He had, like, launched over the top of it while he was doing a trick or whatever. And it was in, you know, seven or eight different pieces, And I watched as the surgeon put this back together. And for the first time, I realized how creative medicine is. I always thought, oh, fixing a broken bone is just like you just put the pieces back together where they're supposed to go. But there were, you know, a dozen different ways he could have reconstructed that collarbone. And it was a really interesting creative process, the way that he like had to decide right there um, how to do it and how to build something and put it back together. And, uh, And I was fascinated with that. I was also fascinated with the team aspect of it, and this is something that that now um, I will say there are a lot of benefits of being an entrepreneur, of being a, a writer. I guess if I had to put myself in a category, I would call myself an author, and there are a lot of a lot of benefits of having a lifestyle like that. I get to write about what I want, I get to work on what I want, I have freedom and time and the ability to you know kind of like decide how I want to design my day. But one of the drawbacks is that I don't work that closely with the team. I don't see people in person. And when I was a baseball player, I loved that. We had 25, 30 guys who would come to practice every day and work on a shared mission. And that was one thing I saw in the operating room as well. Doctors and nurses kind of have this, um, you know, this opportunity to work together as a team toward a shared goal. And then there's a very easily measurable outcome of whether or not someone you know, has a successful surgery or not. So there were a lot of aspects of it that I liked, but there was one thing I didn't like, and that one thing is what ended up driving me toward entrepreneurship, and it was that I showed up each day at the office, and I had a very narrowly defined role, um, and I was asked to do a, you know, a certain thing, certain set of tasks, but I left each day feeling very underutilized. I was, I I can remember thinking I have so much more to give and, you know, I, this is just a summer internship, but I was like, I could, they could be asking me to be doing so much more. I wish I could, you know, contribute more, but it it just wasn't within the scope of my job title of my position. And so one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is that you are asked to do everything. You were the classic janitor to CEO, right? Like I as soon as I started for the next and it really hasn't stopped over the, the last few years, I've had, I've been responsible for it all. And I think sometimes I think I would make a better number two than a number one. I, sometimes I think my skill set would be better for that um, as a leader, but, uh, but I love the fact that I am pushed to my limit to figure out like, how can I come up with a good strategy? How can I execute on that? How can I implement uh, these ideas that I come up, come up with, um, I'm definitely challenged in the role, and I think that's something that I really gravitate toward.
1: Okay, could you take us forward then? Uh, you're 24, you, you graduate, you know you want to do your own business. What happened next?
0: Well, so for the first uh, year and a half to two years, so 18 to 24 months, I call that now when I look back, it was the period where I incubated my skill set. Um, so I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know how to build a website, I classic entrepreneur story, right? Every entrepreneur has some version of this story. but uh, basically, I was flying blind, and so I uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I got during that time was try things until something comes easily. And so, over the course of those first year and a half to two years, I tried uh, probably five to ten different websites. I would you know put up a site, write a couple of guest posts, drive some traffic to it, see if something would convert, um, and eventually I honed in. I had a site at the time; it's not around anymore but where I was writing about kind of like small business marketing advice. And part of that was stuff that I had learned in grad school. And part of it was, I, this is, this is also a funny little entrepreneurial thing, but I wasn't making any money for the first like six to 10 months. And so in order to pay the bills, I, uh, I, I just had taught myself how to build a WordPress website. Like I, I could do very little, but I could at least get a site up and like design it in some rudimentary fashion. And so I reached out to a bunch of insurance agents, some of which who I knew through my dad. Um, and all of these guys were like 65, 70 years old. Uh, they, they knew even less about building a website than I did. And they needed new websites. And so I built new websites for them for like 1,000 or 1,500 bucks. And that was how I made enough money in the beginning, in the very beginning, the first like six to 12 months to you know keep myself sustained. And then once I crossed like the year, year and a half mark, that was when I started making enough money from the site through like eBooks and products that um, that I could at least not take on freelance clients anymore. Uh, um, and then eventually, about two years in, I switched over to JamesClear.com.
1: Mm, okay, um, I feel like there's a little something missing here. So you want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, you you, know, you had obviously seen all these examples. But you kind of became a writer, I guess. More like you said, you see yourself as an author. Um, and, you know, I I do the same. I, I like to call myself more an author nowadays. You know, a blogger, writer, than a proper entrepreneur, since I don't have uh, you know a bricks and mortar store or something like that. I did in the past, though, had more like those kind of businesses. Did you do any kind of you know, a business project that was like uh, anything, you know, the, the flower store, the, um, you know, architect, uh, your own, any, I mean, literally anything, or did you know straight away that you wanted to use your words as the foundation for income and the internet seemed like the, the right path? And if that was the case, did you have any clue about the business model of online writer and how that actually works at that point?
0: Well, so I kind of stumbled into writing or it kind of came into it, to it through like a trap door, I guess. Um, so when I started, the very first business idea I had was I started as a software entrepreneur, I guess would want to use that term really loosely. Um, I, I spent 1500 bucks. this was like two months after I graduated, uh, and hired a couple developers on Elance to build my iPhone app. And at the time, iPhone apps were really hot. A lot of people, I'm sure there's still plenty of people making money off of them now, but uh, but at the time, they were like the new big thing. And um, I had them build a photography app, and it, I think, in total, before I shut it down like a year later, I think it made $17 or something like that, $19. So very immediately, I lost a bunch of money, to, or at least what felt like a bunch of money to me at the time. Um, and... I realized the reason that this thing flopped was not because I like had the app builder; it was a bad idea, but because I had no way to market it. I, I it like I thought, oh, if you build it, they'll come, and nobody came. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I started reading up, like, well, how do you market things? And then I came across this idea of an email list and of having an audience to to market to. And so the reason I started writing is because I. I had ideas that I wanted to share, certainly, and I was looking at people like uh, Chris Gilbo and Leo Babalta at the time who had these blogs, so I was familiar with it, but um, but I, I also realized that I didn't have any way to sell anything, and so over the course of those you know first year and a half to two years, I read up a lot, did a lot of research on how to build an audience and how to build an email list and what a blog was used for. And I think I would still define it this way. A blog is mostly just a marketing channel. It's a way to distribute information or get attention. It's not, it's not really a business model by itself. Some blogs can be, if you run like a food blog and put ads on it, then, you know, and you get 10 million page views a month and you can make, you can make good money. But, um, but the type of blogging I was doing that was informational and related to, you know, self-improvement and a scientific way of looking at how to improve life that Uh, it wasn't going to be ad based. It was probably going to be course based and the blog was the way to get the audience for the courses or the books or whatever. And so I I eventually came to that realization after a couple of flops.
1: Okay. So uh, it's fantastic. You moved so quickly into, I guess, information marketing and and writing and teaching and, and you knew to sell products too. I think so many people go through an advertising phase or an affiliate marketing phase, uh, but you were confident in you know, your products were the path. And I, I feel like we have to give a lot of credit to maybe the, the people who were doing that at that point, Leo, Chris Gilliboo, and everyone else, because they, uh, and I guess I was also doing that at the time, They were we were all kind of... Um, demonstrating that that's even possible right that that that's also a way to make a great living so did you need to like fill any uh, gaps in terms of I don't know even how to like I mean you know how to do WordPress right but did you know how to do um, email marketing did you know how to set up you know a membership site and uh, take payments online all these sort of basic but yet quite technically challenging skills you need to learn yeah, I
0: if there's a, if there's a possible gap, I needed to fill it. I had no skills starting, so every everything that you're saying, like how to just how to buy a domain name, I didn't know how to do that in the beginning. So like everything from buying a domain name to building a course and accepting payments, anything in between there, I had to I had to learn. So um, I. I pretty much learned all of it by Googling, honestly, by reading, by looking at what other people were doing. Um, I just spent, I had no money to spend at the time. So I just, but I had time. So I, I, just worked for you know 10 or 12 hours a day and researched a lot and read what other people were doing and packed together some code that was probably terrible and questionable, but you know, eventually got it to work. And, and it was just a long iterative process of doing that. Um, And eventually what I was hoping to do was just to build at least some kind of backbone, some kind of, you know, structure there for the business so that I could do what I really wanted to do, which was share useful ideas to try to like, you know, spread something that was accurate and helpful and engaging enough that people would want to read it. Um, and it took me a while to figure out those basic business skills, um, to just let me do that. And thankfully now, it's easier. And I think probably as time goes on, it will get just increasingly easier to do all those basic things, like put a product up and accept payments and whatever. Um, and I think that's great. I think you already have seen just in the short amount of time that I've been writing. Um, when I started the quality bar for writing, it wasn't as high showing up counted for a lot. And if you just showed up consistently, then that could, that alone could get you separation. Um, now, the, it's easier for, there are less technical hurdles. And so because the barrier to entry is lower, the quality of the work has to be higher. And that can be a little bit challenging, especially you know, if, if for people who've been around a while and they like had a certain standard that they were like, oh, I thought this was good enough. And then suddenly it's not. I think that can be frustrating. And I have had to raise the quality bar of my writing just in the last two or three years. But on the whole, I really like that. Um, one, I like, I've mentioned this before, I like being challenged. So I like challenging myself to put out better work. And two, it's just better for everybody if the ideas have to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on the whole, we all benefit in the long run, even though, uh, uh, you know, living and dying by the quality of your ideas and the depth of your work and research, I think is probably more important now than it was before when mm-hmm. they're, you know, when it was just harder to get started and you could kind of use that technical barrier entry to insulate yourself.
1: Could we look at that? Period that that two years where you went from zero to hundred thousand subscribers. Now, when you say that, I, I'm assuming email subscribers. How did that happen? What did you do?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, just uh, for context, every all the numbers that I talk about for subscribers are are email subscribers um, and uh, active subscribers. Um, So I I spent the first year and a half to two years working on those other websites. And then eventually about two years in, I, I realized that really it was about a year in I realized I was interested in a lot in like habits and behavior change and improvement. And I had, you know, kind of done a lot of this stuff without realizing it when I was younger. And then now I started to get into the research of it more and kind of how it worked. And so for a year I wrote in private about those ideas. I had this word doc that got to be like 60 pages long and Eventually, um, around 2012, I was like, "Okay, it's been long enough. Like, you've got you know plenty of material here. You just need to step up and, and publish it." And I had all kinds of excuses for why I didn't get started. I, for a long time, I didn't have a brand name. I thought that I needed. I still have a spreadsheet of like 400 brand names that I brainstormed, and none of them were really very good. Um, and so eventually, I was like, "You know what? If Seth Godin's name is good enough for him, and Oprah's name is good enough for her." I'll just go with jamesclear.com and I can figure it out later. And uh, I'm still figuring it out later, but well, I'm, I'm say, glad that, I, that, I've got a, that I've got my name on. Of yeah.
1: And off. your last name is very appropriate for what you write about, I have to say, James.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. I guess I kind of got lucky there. I, I didn't have much control over it, but it did work out well. Um, so November twelfth, two 2012 was the first day that I published an article um, on jamesclear.com. And for the next Monday and Thursday, so twice a week for the next three years, um, I published and that, that is the, the unsexy, but most important answer to how did I grow from zero to a hundred thousand, um, is that I published two articles a week, uh, for the next three years. Um, now of course there's more to it than just that, but I think that if you don't show up consistently, then like, it's really hard for the other stuff to work for you because What I did was I tried to do the best I could every Monday and Thursday, and that meant that at the end of each month, I would have eight or nine articles, um, and two or three of them would end up being decent. Now, I didn't know which two or three would be, but I knew that if I showed up eight or nine times, I would have two or three good ideas. And every marketing strategy you could think of, from social media to SEO to partnerships to whatever, they all work better when you have good content. Um, and so, by by kind of setting that foundation of the content, I was able to set myself up to use some of those marketing ideas in a more strategic way, or to um, yeah, at least be more effective when I put my time toward marketing.
1: So, what kind of marketing did you do? Because I know, especially the, like the timing you started at, uh, compared to when I started, I could literally just write, and blogs would just link to me, and Google would love me but you started a period of time where it's not just going to magically happen. You actually need to proactively seek an audience and seek incoming links. Uh, what were, what were the tools or techniques that you did during those first two years?
0: Yeah. So, um, so there are a couple things to, to say here. So the first is there are, there are very few traffic sources online that end up lasting for a long time. Like a lot of traffic sources, Dry up is maybe the wrong word, but things change. Um, so for example, there was a, a period of about a year to a year and a half where I got a lot of traffic from Quora um, and, and now I get basically none. Like I don't even know if they're in my top 50 traffic refers from last month. Um, now, there are a few kind of kingpins that continue to last and send traffic year in and year out. Google is the most obvious example. Um, and Facebook, I think, also qualifies, although, you know, who knows what will happen with social media over the next you know, decade or whatever. But, um, but those kingpins, those big tr- sources of traffic that, that send a lot, the challenge of them is they often take a while to build up. So, for example, my site got very little Google traffic the first year. It got more the second year, like, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but say I was getting 1,000 or 5,000 visits a day from Google after one year, maybe I was getting 2,000 or 10,000 a day uh, after two years. And there's no mystery there. I just had twice the amount of things to rank, right? I had, you know, if I wrote two articles a week, I had 100 articles after the first year and I had 200 after the second year. So um, Google was a very slow burn for me. It just, it took a while to create enough content that things started to rank, Facebook has been even slower for me because I I put all of my energy into building an email list um and I didn't even have a Facebook page until like 3 or 4 years in um yeah, I guess 3 years in I'm I'm coming up this November will be 5 years for jamescare.com. Mm-hmm. um so anyway uh my point being that um I tried a lot of things in the beginning and what ended up working for me was And just to give you an idea of the growth rate here, so I think after the first month, I had 100, 200 subscribers, somewhere in that range. Uh, After three months, I was around 1,000. After six months, I was at 6,000. And then the seventh month, I went from 6,000 to 12,000. And so, so I doubled there in one month. And th- ever since then it hasn't really slowed down. I think at the end of the first year I was at like 34, 35,000. The end of the second year was like 100. At the end of the third year was 200 or something. Um, anyway, and now it's like 400, I don't know 4, ten, four twenty, 420 somewhere in that range. Um, so the, the growth, um, what changed there? What changed between that sixth month and that seventh month? Well, like I said, some of these traffic sources have dried up now, but um, so Quora was a big help at the time. Um, I, they had this blog function and I would take my blogs and uh, I wrote everything on my site originally and I still do that. I think that my site should be the one place where all of my content lives. Like If you're going to come to one place on the internet where you want to see everything that James Clear has created, it should be jamesclear.com. So any other site that runs my stuff, they only have a selection of a few articles and don't have it all. Um, so anyway, I took a couple of the good ones and I published them on Quora. And at the time, uh, Quora actually would email out uh, articles that did well to their entire user base. So I got featured in a couple of their newsletters and some of those articles went viral and got like 40,000 shares on Facebook or whatever. And so I was getting a lot of people coming back that way. Um, and then the other thing that helped a lot as far as I know, I was one of the first people to do this, um, maybe the first individual. But I noticed that uh, uh, that a lot of big sites like CNN or Men's Health or uh, Lifehacker or Business Insider, that they shared content with each other. So like you might see an article from Shape Magazine or Men's Health that was republished on Yahoo or on CNN or whatever. And so I went to the editors of these different verticals and I said, um, you know, you guys already have partnerships with each other. Just treat me like you would another brand treat, treat me the individual as you would, you know, men's health, uh, and republish my stuff too. And so we ended up creating these partnerships and those did really well for me. Um, especially over the course of the next like two years, um, They would, you know, they'd take an article, they all would run on my site originally, and then they'd republish it on their site, and I would have a backlink at the bottom, um, some kind of, you know, call to action, like, if you enjoyed this article, uh, check out James Clear's work at jamesclear.com. He writes about, you know, health and fitness and how to improve your mental and physical performance. You can join his free newsletter here, or something like that. And, uh, you know, naturally, anybody who reads that article all the way to the end is very engaged and interested Um, and so they would click on that link to join the newsletter and the conversion rate was really, really high because they were, you know, they'd already spent five minutes reading an article from me. So those, uh, those were probably two of the main ways that I ended up growing early on there Mm. over the first like year or two.
1: Yeah. Really powerful advice. And I'm so glad you said at the start that really the engine that makes this work is the quality of your content because you couldn't approach Men's Health and all these other top websites with the, you know, the confidence to say, hey, just treat me like a brand and share my stuff uh, without knowing that your stuff is what they would value and they'd see it as something worth sharing with their audience. Like that's that's a confidence thing, but that's also, you know, you knowing that you put in the work to create the value that those sites would benefit and their readers would benefit from your work as well. And then you just tapped into the natural network that's there. So that's fantastic, James. Thanks for that advice. Um, I'd love to know the monetization part of this. So you you're obviously had this explosive email list growth. And again, also, thank you for emphasizing that you focused on email as your main driver. It wasn't social. It was grow my list. Um, that's uh, very smart. Um, how did that first turn into an income stream for you?
0: Yeah, so I focused really, really heavily on growth for the first two years. I just tried to do as like good a job as I could with each article. I I pretty much poured myself into like trying to create great stuff. Um, And to be perfectly honest, if we lived in a world where like you didn't need to make any money, um, I would probably just do that all the time. I I, like really love that. I like I said earlier, I love learning, and um, I like the. I like the magicalness of new ideas. And so I, I just want to share stuff. I just want to be helpful and useful. Um, and so I, that's easily, you know, one of the best parts of my job is getting emails from readers saying that they put an idea in action or that they found something helpful. Um, so that's that's really kind of my main goal. It's just how can I contribute my little piece to society and, you know, maybe move things forward for the better. Um, but... Once I had done that, once I had spent some time working on growth and building up the audience, then yeah, of course I start naturally thinking, okay, like what are the business opportunities here? And um, to be perfectly honest, my site is probably very under monetized, uh, and that's that's fine with me. I'm I'm not really worried about it. I make plenty of money and you know like live a good lifestyle, so I'm not I'm not stressed about that at all. Uh, I also think a lot about um, Craig Newmark, the guy who created Craigslist. He had a quote where you know people asked him like why do you why is Craigslist like ninety eight percent free basically you know like why do you you guys only charge for a few things you could make so much more money if you charge for other listings, and he said something to the effect of, you know there are people who make a lot of money up front uh, like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and whoever they you know they stack up billions early on, and then they give it away on the back end. And he was like, I always just kind of thought about like giving it away on the front end, basically, you know, like this is how I'm contributing to society is by trying to give away as much free stuff as as possible early on. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea. I I like the idea of trying to give my stuff away on the front end of trying to be as useful as possible and, you know, sharing two free articles a week or whatever it may be um, so that that people can benefit. So anyway, I all that to say, yes, exactly. Um and so uh so I ended up dividing I think right now the revenue is divided into four different streams. Um so courses, uh for a little while I did I would do like a workshop I call them workshops, but I would do like a or a seminar. So i do like the habit seminar, procrastination seminar, um the willpower and motivation seminar. And so in each one I would break down uh for like an hour the science of how procrastination works and how to overcome it, or how habits work and how to build better habits and break bad ones. Um, and those did well, uh, I would do like one of those a quarter, but then eventually I just realized that like a lot of these ideas are related and habits are the central thread that kind of weave their way through a lot of my work. And so I ended up creating a premium course, which I call the habits Academy. And we kind of, we have a couple of different tiers. We've got like bachelor's, master's, PhD. And, uh, and that's kind of like the one stop shop for like, if you want, if you want everything you need to know on how to build better habits, it's in this course. Um, so that's our, our premium level course. Then um, I have books. So I signed a book deal with Penguin Random House uh, and uh, to write a book about habits, which will be out soon. Um, and then speaking. I don't do a lot of paid speaking. I'd like to do, I, I do maybe like one every month or two. I, I think eight to 10 a year is kind of my ideal pace for that. Um, and then uh, affiliate revenue. And I'm very strict about affiliate uh, stuff. So, like, we don't do any courses. I, I don't like. I'm not an affiliate for any online pro- products or digital stuff for the most part. But what we do is that whenever I write about an article, I'll often cite ideas from a book, and so I'll mention that book and link to link to it on Amazon. Um, or I have like an ultralight travel guide where I break down my travel strategy that I've used in you know like 25 different countries and how I travel with one bag and so on. And uh, and so some of the products in there, like the backpack and the camera, and you know all that type of stuff, uh, we'll link to with affiliate stuff. Again, usually on Amazon. Um, and uh, Amazon's affiliate rates aren't aren't great, right? You're making like eight percent or something mm-hmm. on a sale. But uh, you know my site's getting over a million visitors a month at this point, so that it still adds up uh, for me. Um, so those are those are the four main areas: courses, books, speaking, and and affiliate.
1: I'm mostly curious with the courses' uh, angle. Do, do, how how do you market them? Like, do you have regular promotion emails going out? Do you do launches? Is it a little signature in the footer of your articles? Like, how are you selling your stuff?
0: Yeah. So uh, we're to be honest, we're still testing a lot of it. Uh, we're always kind of iterating with it. The current model that we have is. We do have a a little link in the footer of each article. So I, you know, I send out my new articles and at the bottom, it's like, you know, if you want more from James, you can check out his reading list here and check out his course here and, you know, whatever. Um, So the course is listed there. Um, So some people just click through that way. But the way that most people hear about it is that uh, we have a some automation set up in our email marketing system so that if people read a certain number of articles or open a certain number of emails, their lead score will hit a particular number. And so the it's basically the amount of engagement that they have. And so once you have shown that you're a fairly engaged subscriber, then we send you uh, like a little series of, I don't know, three or five emails over the course of the week or two, just saying, you know, you may enjoy this course, here's what it's about, blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of a, a very passive strategy to launching in, in like an evergreen way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically each week there's kind of a new cohort of subscribers that have hit this lead score threshold and they kind of get taken through and told about the course. I think because it's a course about how to build better habits, that applies really well to you know the start of the year. People are coming up with the goals and New Year's resolutions and so on. So I think I may do uh kind of like a a yearly like an annual enrollment of uh you know the 2018 class or whatever and uh every January kind of just tell everyone about it and well sort of a large broadcast to the whole audience and kind of bring everybody in at once and maybe do like a Q and A session with me and stuff. Um but uh but for the most part it's an evergreen strategy.
1: Mm, okay interesting you're the first person I've interviewed who purely does lead scoring to invite people through a sales sequence like that. So that's interesting to hear. I am curious what, do you, I mean, if you can share, what's the criteria for the lead scores? Like they've read or clicked on five links in the last five weeks or something. What is the criteria?
0: Yeah, um, so the things that we measure are website visits, uh, email opens and clicks, and I think those might be the two, the only two that are in there. Um, but what they do is that basically that level of engagement they're clicking and opening and and reading um i don't honestly i don't remember exactly i have a Lindsay, my kind of email marketing master uh she she handles all the uh marketing stuff so she sets up all the funnels and everything but i'm pretty sure that each um each article and each email counts for like one point basically um, and so you just keep stacking these points up based on the, your level of engagement, and then once you cross a certain threshold, you get put into that cohort for the, the next week. And I don't remember exactly what the threshold is, but something like, you know, 20 or 30 or somewhere around that range. It's not okay. some crazy high number.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. Okay, James, the last sort of five minutes here before we run off, um, I'd love to maybe just turn the focus on to the listener here uh, who might be a, an aspiring author such as yourself and – you know, loves the idea of sharing quality content, but maybe in the past has struggled with audience growth, monetization, you know, turning into a a full-time income, especially if they're, you know, maybe you have mortgage, family, kids, you know, things that are keeping them trapped to a job that they feel they can't quit or something like that. What, what advice would you give to them if they want to make the transition, albeit it, even in your case, you can see it wasn't like an overnight success story. It takes a few years. But what advice would you give to them to, to make that transition, especially if they're feeling like they want to write more, but they can't because they can't make enough money from it and, you know, and so on?
0: Well, I think the first thing is to decide what kind of lifestyle you want and then work backwards from there. So what do you want your average day to look like? Um, because a lot of the time, the success that you see other people having is not nearly as sexy as it appears to be. It's not, it's not the – people talk about the results of, of things. They talk about how many email subscribers they have or how much money they made in the launch. Um, but they very rarely talk about the process behind the scenes. And the process is where you live your daily life. So you know, if you want the result of having a best-selling book, then you need to embrace the process of writing, you know, alone, alone in front of your computer for months on end, because that's what being an author looks like. That's what the lifestyle is. If you want the the result of squatting three hundred pounds, then you need to embrace the process of training five days a week in the gym, because that's what the you know the process of being a weightlifter or a bodybuilder is like. So. I think the first question to to be honest with yourself about is what kind of process, what kind of lifestyle excites me? What kind of thing would I, you know, would not feel like a sacrifice to me, but would feel like this is the life that I want to live. And what's interesting is that once you get an answer to that question, there are many ways to make a living. I mean, I have friends who make a full-time living cooking every day. You could do it by being a professional chef. You could do it by running a food blog. You could do it all kinds of different ways. But if that's the process that you love, if you love baking and cooking things, then you can figure out what the the business model should be. Um, And so in order to be an author, in order to be a blogger or someone who sells their knowledge, you need to really like creating content. Um, You know, I I didn't know that I would like writing as much as I I do. Um, And I'm glad that I do because I don't know that blogging would be a good career for a lot of people. If you don't like writing, don't do that. if you like podcasting, for example, uh, then you could do it that way. Or if you like creating video, then you could do it that way. I think it's important to figure out what kind of medium or what kind of lifestyle resonates with your, uh, with your mind. And like video is another good example. Um, I kind of feel a little bit awkward on video. I, I don't know that it's the right, the right thing for me. But the other thing is processing video takes a lot of time and is just annoying to me. I, I don't want to sit down and do that all the time. But if you want to be a professional YouTuber or a professional vlogger, that's what your lifestyle is like. So uh, some people will like that. They'll find it fun to come up with the transitions and splice things together and whatever. But the the central point here is figure out what kind of lifestyle resonates with you and then back into the business model from there.
1: What does your lifestyle look like right now, James? Being
0: in Yeah. So most of the time I, uh, it's fairly quiet. I I don't work with music on, um, I work in a home office. I don't, I'm not, I don't have other employees around me. That is both, uh, an advantage for doing deep work and a disadvantage for some of the things I mentioned earlier in the call where I really like, you know, a team atmosphere and being surrounded by people working toward a common mission and so on. So I'm thinking a little bit about that for, you know, once this book gets done, how will I transition a little bit there and, you know, like figure out a way to work more in person with people or have team retreats and things like that, because my team is all remote. But uh, to answer your question, I wake up in the morning, I get dressed, take a shower, get ready for the day. I usually grab a, a cup of tea and then I sit down and write for the first three to five hours of the day before I have lunch. Um, lunch is usually my first meal, um, aside from, you know, the tea and maybe I'll have a banana or something, but usually I I just kind of go fasted in the morning. Um, and then, so that's usually when I do my creative work. And then in the afternoon is when I schedule calls, interviews, uh, check up on email, do any of the tasks that don't require a lot of like great creative effort or mental, um, uh, the same kind of mental energy on my end. And then, uh, I go and lift at the gym from like, five to seven somewhere in that range usually for about an hour maybe an hour and a half if it's a long workout Uh, come back make dinner hang out uh, with my wife and just kind of chill for a while and then I usually start working again around like nine or so at night and do like another couple hours between like nine and midnight maybe something like that Um, if I'm busy if I'm not busy then I'll just go to bed or read a book or whatever
1: all right. Interesting. Sounds like a fairly relaxed lifestyle, very, but very focused on what you enjoy. So that's great to hear. Uh, I think the simple answer for where to find out more about you is jamesclear.com. But are there any other uh, websites or resources you want to share with listeners?
0: Uh, yeah. So jamesclear.com is definitely the best place to, uh, to check out my work. If you're interested in reading more about how to build better habits, uh, I have a free habits guide. That's at jamesclear.com slash habits. Uh, it's called Transform Your Habits. I think it's like 45, 46 pages. Uh, and it kind of summarizes a lot of the, the science and approach um, on how to do that. And uh, otherwise, I would say just click on the articles tab in the navigation and I kind of break things out by category and try to make it easy for you to dive into what's interesting. So just poke around for a few minutes and, and hopefully you'll find something you like.
1: Definitely subscribe to James's email list. I've been on there for a while now, and I, I've actually blatantly copied his style at the moment as well. I love the the content in the email style, which not many people do nowadays. So. Um, But James, thank you for taking the time to share the background story and some of the highlights of how your business has grown and how you monetize it. That's really been quite insightful. And, you know, good luck with the future. I know you've you've got big plans with the book coming out soon. And uh, obviously, the the more writing you get out there, the more people you're going to help. So, you know, keep up the
0: great work. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode of the EJ podcast. If you're interested in following in the footsteps of myself and many other successful people who use blogs to grow a business, then I invite you to download a free copy of my Blog Profits Blueprint Report, which has been downloaded over 150,000 times and is the starting point for many very successful bloggers today. It's an A to Z guide on how to choose a topic, market your blog, set all the technology up, and of course, make money from blogging as well. 100% free in audio and written text. You can get it from blogprofitsblueprint.com just enter your email address there and I'll send you a free download for the blog Profits Blueprint. Thanks again for listening.